Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, featuring players like all-star catcher Buster Posey. It's about, you know, just going out and, and trying to have passion for the game that I've loved since I was a kid. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Sun First Solar, known for delivering solar excellence since 1984 and recently voted best solar company in Marin County. We're also brought to you by TPC Harding Park, the only public golf course in San Francisco offering golfers the opportunity to play where the pros play. Coming up, we're going to talk to former major leaguer Jerry Hairston Jr. And we're going to chat with the manager of the Facebook group, SF Giants Gamer Babes, Annie Maciel, will join us as well. But first, I want to tell you about my favorite golf course, TPC Harding Park in San Francisco. TPC Harding Park is now open and accepting tee times at tpc.com slash Harding Park. And TPC Harding Park is also pleased to announce the 2020 PGA Championship has been rescheduled for August the 3rd through the 9th. For additional information, visit tpc.com slash Harding Park or feel free to contact 102PGA at pgahq.com. Jerry Hairston Jr. played 16 years in the major leagues. He was one of my favorite players to be around. I actually got to know Jerry in the minor leagues when I was the play-by-play announcer for the Rochester Red Wings, the Orioles AAA affiliate in the International League. And Jerry was coming up on his way to the Baltimore Orioles and really one of the best guys to be around in a clubhouse. Uh, Always a good talker. And now Jerry Hairston Jr. is working for the Dodgers broadcast on Spectrum Sportsnet LA. We had a nice chat covering a lot of ground on Monday evening, and here it was. Well, Jerry, uh, you were just telling me about how you're running around with your kids. they got all kinds of games going on, and uh, in the seriousness of the world with everything that's happening, you know, with the racial injustice and police brutality that's definitely come to the forefront I'm wondering, as a father, how do you teach your kids about it? What do you, how do you, uh, you know, answer their questions? What do you say to them? Well, I mean, that is a very good question. You know, it's one thing that I was hoping I would have to avoid this type of discussion with my children, but because things are happening so rapidly and everything's on CNN, you know, I have a 14-year-old son. I already had the conversation with him, you know, possibility of, you know, getting pulled over. You know, I know my father had the conversation uh, with me, and my grandfather had the conversation with my dad. And my dad grew up in, the, in Birmingham, Alabama, in the 50s and 60s, at the heights of the Civil Rights Movement. So, you know, he had it a lot worse than I did. But still things are happening. And hopefully uh, these type of things, because now that it's been to the forefront, it's been put in everybody's face that these things are happening. Uh, we need to we need to do something about it, and hopefully uh, we're we're heard, and things are changed for the better. But no, make no mistake about it. I am having these conversations with my children, uh, not to scare them, you know, uh, not to scare them, but just letting them know, hey, these are possibilities. You know, there are people out there uh, that will judge you or wrongfully, uh, and we will be uh, 
have some type of racism towards uh, you because of your skin color. That doesn't make it right. It's just how the way of the world is right now. Yeah, and I'm wondering about their reaction and curious about what your reaction was when your dad did talk to you about that. Because when you're a kid, you're innocent. You think the world's great, you know, that there isn't any uh, kind of bad things going on like that. Um, so, you know, how did you learn from that, from what your dad told you? And then uh, as you became an adult, uh, sort of take that into your adult life. Well, I, I'm going to be honest. I was kind of sheltered from it because my dad was a Major League Baseball player. And I grew up in a predominantly white uh, white uh, uh, suburbs of Chicago. So when I went to school, in, in elementary school, in, in high school, because of my father was an athlete, I didn't really experience a whole lot of that. You know, sometimes if I traveled for a baseball, baseball team uh, in a league or we would head down to Cocoa Beach, Florida, and play the tournaments, I would get that. Uh, but... You know, my father let me know uh, uh, at an early age, hey, you might experience certain things. Now, just because things are better doesn't mean uh, it, it won't happen to you. And I had some uh, run-ins when I was in pro ball, playing in Winston-Salem, uh, playing in an A-ball league. I had I was called a lot of things, you know, as a baseball player. I remember playing in Vegas, playing in a tournament, playing in Texas Tech, playing in a, in a baseball tournament. I was called a couple names, but, but I remember, listen, Things were better, uh, and I understood it's nothing like what Jackie Robbins had to go through, what Larry Doby had to go through, what Don Newcomb, Roy Capilano, and my grandfather had to go through. So I understood, hey, just these are the, the way of, of the world right now. Uh, but I was able to kind of handle it because my father kind of prepared me for that. Yeah, and your grandfather, Sam, uh, you know, he played in the Negro Leagues. And you think about it, he was denied an opportunity to play in the big leagues until later on in his career. Uh, you always wonder about that, and, and I imagine that you have a great appreciation for what he went through and the other names that you threw out there and, uh, you know, what uh, went on to enable you and others to have a career and at least, uh, you know, not have to deal with everything that they had to deal with. Yeah, and, and I, that's why, you know, I played hard. Now, I wasn't the most talented guy. You know, I was 5'10", 195, 200 pounds, so I always played hard. But part of the reasons why I played hard is because I knew my grandfather didn't really have the opportunities that I had. You know, and my grandfather was a, be a better player than I was. And I was able to play 16 years in the big leagues. And, you know, if my grandfather grew up, when I grew up, he would have had a long and successful career, too. So, you know, I, I was very much aware of the opportunity that I had, and I tried to take advantage of it the best I could. Thinking back on your career uh, and going through, you know, baseball clubhouses, you know, I, I don't know. Now I think a lot of white people are wondering, you know, what black players, athletes have gone through, not just from the fan standpoint, but even in your own clubhouse. I mean, were there any incidences that you could think of where you had to sort of question what was going on in a clubhouse? You know what? I, I was very fortunate. I had great teammates, man. I, I really did. And I I was on nine different teams, and we really didn't have that type of issue on ball clubs. Now, because when we got to the big leagues, a lot of players, the white players, you know, let's say if they, they were from Mississippi or, or Alabama, they, they knew really quick. You had Dominicans. You had Puerto Ricans. You had Venezuelans. You had black players. We had all walks of life in our clubhouse. So from a player standpoint, from a teammate standpoint, you know, stuff like that didn't really happen. Now, when we were on the field, let's say we were on the road, uh, let's say Boston or other cities, occasionally some players, you know, experienced 
certain things. And I knew Adam Jones experienced some things in Boston. Tory Hunter has. Albert Bell. I was a teammate of his. He experienced a lot of stuff in Boston. I was there. Uh, and LaTroy Hawkins experienced some things. So, you know, from uh, a teammate's perspective, you know, my teammates were always great. Never had issues with that. It was sometimes you know, a few fans which would shout out certain things to some players, and, and we noticed. What's your reaction to what's going on now as far as the protests and Colin Kaepernick's name being thrown out there again? Because it's really interesting to me. When it first happened with Colin Kaepernick with the kneeling, I always said, hey, give this guy a lot of credit. That That's bravery right there. He's standing up for a cause or kneeling down for the cause, and he's getting ostracized for it, yet he's sticking to it. I always thought he had a lot of guts. What's your take on everything with that? Well, I had an uncle who served in the military. I've had relatives that serve in the military. And if you go back and look at that, Colin Kaepernick asked his teammate uh, who had served in the military, what would be uh, something that I could do that won't disrespect the flag? And his teammate who had served in the military said, kneeling. That's what we do as military people. We kneel, and it would not be disrespecting at all. So Colin Kaepernick decided to do that. And obviously it became a huge issue. And he was doing that to raise issues with police brutality, with uh, people of color, obviously more so black people, getting uh, in certain situations having uh, to deal with racism, systemic racism, uh, confrontation with police officers. Now, we know there's a... I have friends. One of my best friends is a police officer. There are my cousin is a police officer. There are thousands and thousands of police officers. But obviously, just like in anything, you're going to have issues with a, a, a select few, and that select few has a gun, and that select few has killed some people. Okay, and you can't have those few ki- killing when you're supposed to be protecting and serving. So uh, it's an issue that's still uh, prevalent. And hopefully, uh, with all that's going on, things will change for the better. We'll have more with Jerry Hairston Jr. right after this. Jones goes back, back near the wall, shading the sun, and he dropped it. He lost the ball in the sun. Let's put the sun to good use at home with a Sun Power residential solar system. Your Sun Power elite dealer, Sun First Solar, has a wide range of financing options and they provide the finest customer service from start to finish, regardless of size or scope. Sun First Solar offers the highest efficiency systems, newest technology, and the best warranty in the world. Sun First Solar offers the most competitive price while not compromising on quality. This summer, let the sun heat your pool and eliminate your energy bill. Don't drop the ball. Call Sun First Solar at 415-458-5870. That's 415-458-5870. And get your Sun Power solar system today. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball is trying to get a deal together with the players, and it's just not working out yet, Jerry. So what do you think about this? I mean, I know the players wanted to have more games. The players don't want to take a major pay cut. I mean, they were going to uh, play on uh, prorated salaries. That seems to be fair. The owners are saying, well, we're not going to have any fans in the stands. We're going to take a big hit here. What's your take on the whole situation? Well, really, I have been really pleased with the players. You know, for them to offer 114 games, to tell the fans, to tell Major League Baseball, hey, 
we know what's going on in our country right now. We know COVID is still kind of lingering. Hopefully we're, we're past that, I'm hoping. But with everything going on in the country, the players are saying, you know what, we can be a source of entertainment for the fans. We want to play 114 games. And I was like, wow, I was really proud to be a player, you know, a former player. And for them to say that, I said, well, hopefully the owners will see that and say, you know what, we're all going to take a hit. The players are going to take a hit. We're going to take a hit, obviously. Maybe we play 85 games or 95 games, and we stick to what we all agreed in March, and this will be at least uh, 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 something for the fans to kind of take heed and say, you know what, our national pastime wants to be out there for us, and we'll be the only thing on TV as far as live sports. And I think baseball has missed a huge opportunity here, man. I thought we'd be playing by July 4th. We could have had a huge event for opening day on July 4th for this country, for the world. And I'm just shocked at the, the owners and players. And I, I'm going to say the owners, man, aren't able to come to agreement and have them playing on the 4th because the players have proven they want to play. Yeah, no, I'm on I'm on the player side on this one as well. And and if we do finally get some baseball, I mean, do you think people are going to forget about the Astros cheating scandal? I know the Dodgers aren't really. Uh, they were very outspoken, felt they got cheated out of the World Series. Uh, when you heard about the cheating scandal, what was your reaction to it? And, and do you think maybe it gets put a little bit on the back burner after everything that's happened in the year 2020? Baseball players don't forget, bro. Baseball <laughs> players don't forget. Uh, for them... You know, I was very disappointed because I played up, I played against A.J. Hinch coming up. I played and always admired Carlos Beltran. I was a teammate of Alice Corps. I still admire him. A very brilliant uh, guy. Same with Carlos Beltran. It's like these guys didn't need to do that. You know what I'm saying? That's what's baffling to me. You know, it's one thing to try to read signs and try to pick up signs from second base or, or, or from, you know, somewhere on the field in the dugout, but you're doing it using a TV. Yeah. You know, you're going away from, from the field of, of battle. And that's what was disappointing to me. And the Astros are a very talented team, man. They didn't need to do that. And yet they still did that. And that was a tremendous advantage. And, you know, obviously the Red Sox, we had found out they've done certain things to that extent, maybe not as much as the, the Astros did, but that, that was definitely disappointing. You know, you played for some iconic franchises. You mentioned 16 years in the major leagues, but to play for your hometown Chicago Cubs, to play for the Yankees and win the World Series, and then to finish up with the Dodgers, I mean, you really had a great uh, experience of playing with not only a lot of different players, but in some of those great baseball cities. So when you reflect back on it, do you feel fortunate that you had those opportunities? Because some people would say, well, you know, you bounced around a little bit, but you had so many different teammates and experiences and relationships. Well, you should be my, my agent. Uh, I, I just talked with, with, with uh, Josh Barfield. He's a, a minor league coordinator for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He said, he kind of, kind of listed my resume a little bit. He said, you played in New York, you played in L.A., you played in Chicago. You played for Dusty Baker, Buck Showalter, Joe Girardi, uh, Don Mattingly, Buddy, Bud Black, so many really good managers. And you're going to get called because you're on TV. You played for all those guys. You played in markets to be a manager. Just just." Just wait. And I said, well, you know what? I was fortunate to bounce around and to learn from a lot of great baseball people. You know, and, and, and I wouldn't change my career for anything. Now, you know, early on I got hurt and had to deal with a lot of injuries, and that kind of changed the type of player I, I had to be. But I was very fortunate to be a, a, around a lot of great baseball minds and baseball men and, and, and playing great cities. And 
to finish my career in L.A. on the West Coast with the Dodgers and now do TV for them, I feel very fortunate. Yeah, I was going to say, how much are you enjoying doing the pregame, postgame for Spectrum Sportsnet L.A.? And you mentioned managing. Is that something that you think is in your future? Well, not right now. You know, I'm raising my kids. I'm enjoying that. Uh, and I get to be around the guys right now as a broadcaster and to really watch every game to still continue to learn. Uh, I, I work with Oral Hershiser, brilliant baseball mind, Nomar Garcia-Para, another brilliant baseball mind, and Nick Coletti, uh, who is one of the best GMs of my generation. And to learn the ins and outs of the front office through him, you know, I'm definitely learning more and more about the game of baseball. And that's one thing I've learned growing up in this game. You never stop learning. You had an experience with the Yankees where you won the World Series in 2009, and you were only there one year, but to get that opportunity to play in the World Series and to, to get the start in a game against Pedro Martinez, tell us a little bit about that, because I know Joe, Joe Girardi noticed some numbers, and we talk about analytics all the time now, but you had some good at-bats, some good numbers against Pedro Martinez, and you got the call and you came through with a base hit, led to helping the Yankees win a game there in the World Series. Yeah, well, you know, Joe, uh, a guy that's always looking at not just the numbers, but looking at, you know, matchups. And at that time, Nick Swisher was struggling a little bit, and he just needed a break. And he felt that he was pressuring himself a, a little bit too much. Uh, and he just wanted him to sit down and take a day. And he said he saw Pedro Martinez starting, and he saw my numbers that I had uh, against Pedro. And I remember right after game one, we had a workout the next day. He said, I don't know where you're going to be playing, but you're going to be playing against Pedro game two. I don't know where yet and i told joe why don't you uh start me at short and have Derek dh you know he said yeah that ain't gonna happen you know? <laughs> so uh he started laughing but he put me in right field i got a chance to start i'm very fortunate to face uh one of the greatest pitchers uh, in the history of the game pedro martinez uh, uh to face him and able to get a hit in the world series is definitely a memory i'll never forget and for us to to win the world series i got a chance to play in game six I didn't start, but to, to come in uh, mid-game and, and, and be on the field when uh, we were able to, to capture that World Series title and rush the, the pile coming in from left field, I'll never forget that. Yeah, and to be a part of that atmosphere, I would think that was a great experience. I don't Did that calm you down later on uh, just a couple of years later? You're in the postseason with the Brewers, and you hit great. I mean, I'm just looking at some numbers that, you know, in, in 2011 in the NLDS, and uh, you were tearing it up at the plate. So did you relax a lot after that Yankees experience? That, Without question, being around Derek Jeter, being around Mariano Rivera, Posada, Andy Pettit, Mariano Rivera, Alex, being around those guys, man, that really gave me confidence, man. Uh, and those guys, you know, it's funny, they always wanted me to play because they knew they would get a chance to DH, you know. So that kind of really gave me confidence. And I was, up to that point, I had 10 years in the big leagues, and you know, I had a couple years there where, you know, I had some injuries and I just couldn't stay on the field. And that really kind of hit my confidence a little bit. But to be on that team, to win, uh, really helped my game. And, and going to San Diego to play just about every day at shortstop really helped as well. And they get an opportunity. I always said, if I get a chance to play in the postseason and start and play every day, I really want to take advantage of it. And I, I love that experience. I had Milwaukee, great teammates as well. And to hit in front of Prince Fielder, to hit in front of Ryan Braun, I got a lot of great pitches to hit. So it wasn't just me doing it. I had a lot of great pitches to hit because I had thunder behind me. That helped. <laughs> All right, to finish up, you know, this is a Giants podcast, which is funny because uh, when Giants fans hear the last name Hairston, I think they cringe 
thinking about your brother, Scott, because, I mean, he had so many big hits against the Giants. He just It seemed like he just was able to come through all the time against San Francisco. But I'm curious what you thought about the rivalry when you were in a Dodger uniform playing against the Giants. And, of course, you were part of the Red Sox-Yankees there for a little bit too. Uh, just what are your memories of the rivalry and uh, how everybody reacts to it? I love the rivalry. I love the Dodgers Giants rivalry. I didn't like the Giants when I was playing for the Padres, <laughs> you know, because they were they were good, you know, and, and they were good. And you know, when I was with the Dodgers, they were still good. You know, they had great teams with uh, Brian Wilson, uh, Mad Bum. You had Buster Posey. So many great players, and they played the game the right way. Actually, I, that's one thing I always give them credit. You know, just because you don't like them. And it's a, it's, it's not personal. It's not a personal thing. It's because you want to beat them. You know, it was never personal. It was not like Michael Jordan and the Detroit Pistons. It wasn't like that. You know, they won that hatred. But you respected their game because you had guys on that team, Marcus Scudero, uh, who was a really good player as well. They played the game the right way. And I, I had the utmost respect for Bruce Boshi as a manager, great manager, great baseball man. Uh, so I always loved that rivalry. I always looked forward to going to San Francisco because it was a packed house, uh, the energy of that ballpark, and and it's one of those things where I was fortunate to play with the Cubs, with the Cardinals, obviously with that rivalry, the Yankees, the Red Sox, that rivalry, and the Dodgers, Giants, that rivalry. So I got a chance to to play in three. Incredible <laughs> And by the way, you played for Dusty Baker in Chicago, and he was a great Giants manager. And now he's got his hands full with the Astros whenever we start playing baseball again because of what you're talking about with, uh, you know, retribution that could happen uh, after what the Astros did. How do you think Dusty Baker will handle that? Well, I, I was hoping he wouldn't get that job. I really was. <laughs> Seriously, I was hoping he wouldn't get that job because Dusty really deserves better. Uh, Dusty is probably the best manager I ever played for, the most prepared manager I ever played for, and uh, probably the best communicator. You know, I, Don Mattingly was awesome as communicating, but Black was incredible. A uh, book, Showalter was great with X's and O's. I uh, enjoyed playing for him, uh, but Dusty all around was probably the best guy I ever played for, and he's going to handle that because he's a people person. And he's going to be able to kind of shield his players as best he can as a manager. Uh, and he's going to defend those guys, even though he wasn't there when that thing happened. You know, uh, mm -hmm. hopefully uh, they take care of him and he's there five, six, seven, eight years. He deserves that. You know, he deserves to be on a, on a team uh, you know, for, for a long period of time. And it's a shame what happened to him in Cincinnati. When they let him go, that organization crumbled as far as the team. They had talent there. They were getting ready to, to really take off. And with the Nationals, same thing. They were getting ready to take off. And then, obviously, they are able to win, and Dave Martinez did a great job. But Dusty deserves better, man, and I love that man. And so many players do as well. Uh, and I wish him the best, but not against the Dodgers. Yeah, he, he is the best. I love Dusty, too. And the last thing, you know, since we're talking about Dusty, and you have Dave Roberts, do you think that – the uh, current situation around the country maybe will lend itself to Major League Baseball taking a look and saying, hey, you know, we got to take a look at more black managers because there just haven't been as many in baseball. And even just the numbers of black players, um, you know, they've gone down and they need to do a better job, I would think, of figuring out how to get players who are in the inner cities to start taking uh, baseball as their favorite sport. Well, we're having these conversations. You know, I'm working with Del Matthews. He's with Major League Baseball. We're having these conversations. The one thing I, I try to do 
with friends that I have in, in organizations, even though I may not be able to manage because I really want to work, raise my kids right now, I try to help uh, other guys, whether it's Jock Jones getting another opportunity as a coach, uh, other Delilah the Shields getting a chance to at least break in as a first base coach. And that's the one thing that I've noticed around Major League Baseball. We have coaches, a lot of teams that never even played in the big leagues, okay, and they're being their first base coach and they're being the third base coach where you have so many talented uh, ex-players that should be the first base coaches, that should be the third base coaches, and that's where they need to be first. And then you start to groom these guys to become managers. And it's amazing to me where, hey, analytics, analytics, yeah, they're just stats. If you have these guys in play, you know what I'm saying, as coaches, you help these guys figure out how to use these stats, or they just put a name for analytics, and groom these guys. There are so many talented former players, Vince Coleman's, Ricky Henderson's, uh, I mentioned Delano DeShields, you know, Torrey Hunter, so many guys, Jock Jones, that are sitting at home where you can help these guys not only be as coaches, but help, help them help the players, you know. And it's valuable. A lot of great, great brain, uh, baseball men with tremendous brains are sitting, sitting at home, and that's hurting the game. Yeah, well, I hope that turns around. And I'd love to see you as a manager, Jerry. In my mind's eye, I think back to the first time I saw you in 1999, Rochester, New York, with the Red Wings, and I was the broadcaster there. doesn't seem that long ago to me, but it's hard to believe that's 21 years ago. Yeah. I could see you jumping in the air and catching one at second base, and I said, man, this kid's good. 16-year career in the major leagues, a lot accomplished, and we covered a lot of ground here, Jerry. I really appreciate your time and hope to see you at a ballpark soon. Anytime, brother, and I hope to see you as well. Uh, watch some baseball. You covering baseball, be covering it as well. I miss the sport badly. That's former Major Leaguer Jerry Hairston Jr. Coming up, we're going to hear from the manager of the Facebook page, SF Giants Gamer Babes, in just a moment. We all know that solar systems make financial sense and environmental sense. And when it comes to choosing the best installation crew in the business, Sun First Solar should be your first choice. Sun First Solar has provided solar excellence since 1984. They are Sun Power Elite Commercial and Elite Residential Installers with a reputation for technical excellence, innovative design, fair pricing, excellent customer service, and end-to-end -end quality and competence. Sun First Solar is a family business devoted to treating their employees, customers, the community, and the environment with respect, and they are devoted to renewable energy and sustainability throughout the Bay Area. There is no roof or project that is too complicated. Sun First has successfully installed solar on Spanish tile roofs, metal roofs, and very steep roofs. They also have extensive experience in solar ground mounts and solar pool heating. Competitive pricing expert consultation, and the best warranty. Go local and get your Sun Power solar system from Sun First Solar today. Call Sun First Solar at 415-458-5870. That's 415-458-5870. Well, if you're on Facebook, you know that there are a lot of Giants pages and groups. And one of them that I found to be really interesting and a big supporter of the Inside China Basin podcast is SF Giants Gamer Babes. That's right. Mike Kruko came up with that, and they have followed up on that with a group, which is really cool to be a part of. I had a chance to chat 
with Annie Maciel over the weekend. She is the manager of that group, SF Giants Gamer Babes. Here was the conversation we had over the weekend. Annie Maciel has been a Giants fan for 35 years, and she runs the Facebook group SF Giants Gamer Babes. She manages that Facebook group, and I'm a big fan of it. And she joins us now to talk a little bit about that group and the San Francisco Giants. And, Andy, I know you're missing baseball so much that you have been posting on your Facebook group uh, each day that goes by. I think it's up to, what, 75 days and counting that we haven't had baseball. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. That's sad, right? I mean, how much are you missing it? Oh, my gosh. I I am missing it tremendously, um, especially right now. But I, I think that um, it's probably the best that that um, that they're not playing right now. Yes, that, it doesn't seem safe, right? I mean, for it them to come seem, back. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I want to say. Is that um, we we understand what's happening, and really, we want just uh, for the players and for the staff and everyone just to to be healthy and to to feel, you know, to be safe. We want everyone um, that works at the ballpark to to be safe. That's most important. We can all wait for baseball to come back. We'll still be here. So that's most important is health and safety. But it is, it's such a long time, my goodness. It's like we waited and waited when it's off-season, when it's, um, and then when spring training comes back, it just feels like forever, forever. And it's just, you know, we have the withdrawals. The withdrawals are for real. It's a real thing. And um, so this, is, this has been a trying time for everybody. But like I said, we are all here. We're big fans. And we will wait for them no matter what, no matter how long we're here for them. We just want the best um, for our team. That's what matters most. You know, if baseball does come back, and we're hoping that it it does, but uh, like you said, if it doesn't, maybe it's safer. If it does come back uh, without fans in the stands, that's the part that kind of irritates me too. It's like, do I really want to only watch baseball on television and not get to go to the ballpark? And what kind of a feel will that be, even with a telecast with nobody in the stands? Maybe they'll have, you know, some fake audio piped in there. Or they'll do like what they're doing in Korea right now, you know, where it's, it's fake. But I don't know. I mean, when, when you don't have fans in the stands, that takes away a lot, doesn't it? What, what's been the reaction of your Facebook group as far as just the thought of baseball going on without fans? Well, pretty much everyone just wants to see our guys play. We just want to see some baseball. And I would say the majority, we don't care if there are fans in the stands or not. We just want to see our boys out on the field. We want to see some ball. We want to see some, you know, our boys playing baseball. And I know that there are some that say, that they won't watch if there are no fans in the stands. But for me and for others that I've seen um, voice their opinion about this is that if that's how it has to be in order for baseball to come back and for people to be able to watch baseball, then that's what we'll have to do. And we're okay with that if that's the way it has to be. 
And it won't be like that forever, you know. And then maybe they can do something where, I don't know, fans can be spread out, possibly. I don't know how that would work, but, I mean, we're... the majority of us are willing to do whatever we have to in order, um, you know, to support our, our team. How um, much does it irritate you and others in the group that it's become about money? And we know that Major League Baseball is about money, obviously. I mean, it's a big business, but the, the players cannot get on the field without negotiating a new deal here for how this is all going to play out. I mean, they want to get prorated salaries. The players wanted 114 games. The owners came back and said, no, 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 we don't want that many. I mean, just to hear this play out, it's kind of, I know for me and a lot of us in the media, it's annoying. It's just like, hey, let's just play ball and let's just get along and get an agreement. What about for you guys? Um, Well, what I've seen in the group from comments is that it seems like everyone seems to be on the player's side. And uh, for myself, I feel like, you know, just give the players what they want. And, you know, they, they only have a short... My opinion, when it, when it comes down to sports and athletes, they have a short amount of time in their career. Sure. And I have always felt that they need to make as much money as they can because they have a very short career. And it's, you know, it's not forever, so they need to make as much money as possible. So give them what they want. And they, they are the ones entertaining <laughs> us. Yeah, and they're the ones entertaining us, right, Annie? I mean, they, they're the ones playing the game. They are the ones taking they're a risk the ones, here if they're, yes, they're going to be taking the a risk ones, with their health. Yes, they're the ones taking the risk. They're the ones bringing in the fans. They're the ones bringing in the money. So yeah, give them give them what they what they want, what they need to do that. Your group, yeah. your group, SF Giants Gamer Babes. Obviously, mm-hmm. the name came from Mike Kruko because you know yes. he always calls uh, women in the stands uh, gamer babes. Mm-hmm. So tell us about establishing it when you first started it, how it came about, and uh, how it's you know got gotten popular. I mean, it's gaining in popularity here in the Bay Area where uh, more and more people are getting to see your Facebook site and what you want to accomplish with it. Well, I started it um, about eight years ago and I was in another group and there was a lot of negativity in it and I felt that uh, a lot of the women that were in it when whenever women would ask questions about baseball, um, there would be a lot of shame put upon them for asking a question. And so I wanted a different type of group where, you know, I took that term from Mike Kruko and I wanted um, us to feel good about ourselves. And because women, we know a lot about baseball, a lot. And sometimes we know a lot more than others do. And I I just wanted a group where everyone could feel safe, and I wanted it to be very positive. No matter how bad our team was doing, I wanted a place where we we would still support them, and I wanted everyone to feel um, safe to ask a question, you know, be able to ask 
a, a dumb question, say, um, and and not feel ashamed about it. And it's also, you know, a way we can teach each, each other, you know, people that are new to baseball or that don't know much about it, you know, that we can teach them. And that's something, I mean, I think that's great, you know, to teach somebody new about baseball. That's a wonderful thing. It's fun. And um, also, um, we um, we put on events during the off-season, and the group is also there to help each other um, during, you know, bad times, like when we've had the, the different wilds, uh, the fires, yeah. uh, we've helped out each other um, when people have needed things, um, when uh, and then um, we've raised money for different charities, for such as the Junior Giants, and we've become more of we're not just Giants fans; we have become a family, and we take care of each other, and we're there to help each other. And so that, and that was my whole purpose, was to have a positive place um, where we could share our love for baseball, for our team, support them in a positive way, cheer them on, have some fun, you know, make it fun like it's supposed to be, <laughs> and not be negative, and just have fun and enjoy the game, and enjoy each other, and be a family. Have you run into some issues where, you know, it was challenging because there were some posts that were really unwanted and, and you know, you have to manage the group? Oh, lots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a lot. Yes. That's tough. Yeah. I, I probably shouldn't talk about them, though. <laughs> <laughs> right. I keep it very positive, and, yeah. and anyone that, that uh, does not follow the rules, they are removed. So I'm I'm very strict about that and and but that's you know that's why people love to come to my group. I have almost 8,100 people members, and um, people find that okay maybe my rules may be strict at first, but then what they see is that oh okay no I like this I like it this way this is a safe place I don't have to worry about other members attacking them. I don't allow that either. And because you go on a, a lot of sites and people are attacking each other and it's just, it's ugly and uh, that just doesn't happen in, in our group. Have you guys had any outings uh, out at the ballpark? Have you guys been to some games together? Oh gosh, yes, we do a lot of that. Um, we do a lot of meetups like that and Every year, um, I plan two events every year. I've been doing it for um, eight years. Um, I do a cable car um, event at uh, Christmas time. It's the Holiday Lights cable car. And I usually get either two or three cable cars, and we all dress up in our Giants gear, and we go around the city and we see all of the beautiful lights of San Francisco, and we sing Christmas carols, and we we just spread our holiday cheer and our giants cheer all over the city. And then we all have dinner together. 
Wow. And, yeah, it's a lot of fun. We have so much fun. And then in January, I put on at the at um, the public house um, a luncheon. I call it um, Cheer in the New Year. And we all we have a luncheon at, at public house, and um, it's to, you know, start the year off right, cheer in our, for our boys, and it's something I like to do during the off-season just to keep it going, keep, you know, um, keep us all together, and it's a way of everyone meeting each other and just um, keeping our baseball love um, together, you know, keeping it going. So, and many people, it, it's just wonderful that it's always great to meet other fans, and it's just amazing in the last eight years how the relationships we've built, you know, like I said, we were more than just fans, we're a family now, and it's just been wonderful. It's a great group. I love the group. There are some great men and women in there, and it's just wonderful. They're, they're a really great group. The Facebook group is SF Giants Gamer Babes. Annie Maciel is the manager of the group. And uh, before we finish, you said 35 years that you've been a Giants fan. Do you have a favorite player? Oh, yes. Tim Lincecum. He's my man. <laughs> <laughs> Every time Timmy pitched, it was an event. And I'll tell you, yeah. I think about it often. I think about just him warming up before a start. And uh, he would always have cool music playing. And he's warming mm-hmm. up. And the fans were just so energized by that guy. We miss him a lot. And, you know, oh, he's, kind know. Of, he's kind of in the background now since he uh, is done with baseball. He didn't retire yet, but he's not in Major League Baseball right now. And uh, we saw him come back for the Bruce Bochy celebration, but that's been it. I mean, he has not been yeah. out in public. Right, yeah. He's kind of that, you know, he he likes to hide in the background. He's kind of um, like a, a reclusive, I guess. Um, but, no, everyone loves that little guy. <laughs> Everybody still loves him. The freak. We love him. Yeah. And we'd like for him to come back. I mean... Yeah, we'd love that, but um, that he's my favorite. There's just something about the way he pitched and just just his movements, everything. Uh, Annie, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. I appreciate what you You're guys welcome. have done for me in the podcast uh, by supporting uh, what I'm doing here with Inside China Basin and look forward to uh, posting on there more and seeing you guys have that uh, positive nature about you on the Facebook page, SF Giants Gamer Babes. Thanks so much. And we'd also, we want our Gamer Day back from the organization, from Giants organization. We want our Gamer Babe Day back. <laughs> I just had to throw that in. But thank you, Joe. Thank you. Well, a lot of people have been commenting over the last couple of weeks about the protests around the United States. And I thought one of the best comments I heard was from Arizona State head coach Herm Edwards, a former NFL coach. And he was on NFL Network recently, and he had this to say about the situation in Minneapolis, and he related it to sports and coaching. When you think about bad policing, uh, and it's like coaching. It's a real simple solution to this. Um, If you're not coaching bad policing, but you're allowing it to happen, that's still on your watch. 
You can't allow it to happen. And when it happens and it rears its head, you have to alleviate the problem. I mean, you look at the situation here with this incident, one of these officers has had problems. Well, he should no longer be on your team because he's going to affect the outcome of how everyone looks at you as an organization. That's the shame of it all. You know, in coaching, we say it's real simple. Either you coach it or you allow it to happen. Either way, you got to fix it. That's an internal problem. You have enough information on a bad policeman and you still allow him to be on the team. You got to kick him off. He's got to go because he represents 800,000 policemen. And everyone looks at those guys the same way now. They're going to paint it with a broad brush. You can't allow it to happen. And when it happens, there has to be swift consequences. That's Arizona State head football coach Herm Edwards, and that was awesome. I want to thank our guest today, Jerry Hairston Jr., the former Major League infielder, finished up his career with the Dodgers. Thanks to him for joining us. Great conversation there. And Annie Maciel, the manager of the Facebook page, SF Giants Gamer Babes. Join us again next week for another edition of Inside China Basin on the Believe Podcast Network. For now, I'm Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Thanks a lot for listening, and have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.